One of Canada's most well-known environmental activists, known for spouting off against governments of all stripes and our use of fossil fuels, is back again in the news for comments he made. Critics have accused David Suzuki of condoning or inciting eco-terrorism when he suggested we could see pipelines blown up because people are frustrated by the government's action on climate change. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post reporter Tyler Dawson joins me to discuss Suzuki's comments, the fallout, and whether this kind of rhetoric wins any supporters. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tyler, David Suzuki, not one to shy away from the headlines or from controversy, has again found himself facing some pretty broad criticism for something he said. So for people who haven't heard the comments or haven't read them, what exactly did he say? Basically what he said is that there is frustration sort of mounting higher and higher about climate change and perceived inaction on the part of governments and that if leaders don't pay attention and start doing something, there are going to be, quote, pipelines blown up. The broad version is he said, look, there are people who are really concerned about climate change. They really strongly feel that nothing is going to be done. They've protested. They've gone the route of civil disobedience. What is next? What are the other options available to them? And some may turn to attacking infrastructure. Just for some context, what event was Mr. Suzuki speaking at? And why did he make those comments? Yeah, so so he was speaking at an Extinction Rebellion Canada event held on Vancouver Island. Sort of one of the more extreme groups, shall we say, on the spectrum of um, environmental activism. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably probably fair to call them that. He was asked this by a reporter with Czech News in sort of the context of this event. And, you know, interestingly enough, since then, Extinction Rebellion Canada has actually defended his comments and um, perhaps gone beyond them even. Vancouver Sun reporting that the National Action and Strategy Coordinator, Zane Hack, said, not only will pipelines be blown up, but we can be certain that world leaders will be put on trial for treason or worse, be killed. (laughs) Oh, geez. And so clarified that, you know, Extinction Rebellion activists are nonviolent, but uh, they can't control the actions of those who may commit violence. So, you know, um, just a, another uh, dynamic, I suppose, to this thing. Extinction Rebellion is, as you say, seen by many as, as an extreme environmental organization. But David Suzuki seems to have a fairly mainstream reputation, even though his opinions may stray from the mainstream of Canadians from time to time in instances like this. So he says that he wouldn't be surprised if pipelines blow up. After the fact, he kind of had a chance to qualify his stance a little bit, suggesting, you know, well, there's already violence going on right now. What did he mean by that? Those specific things he was referring to, the anti-logging protests in Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island and the protests against the coastal gas link pipeline by the Wet'suwet'en First Nations people in northern British Columbia. So he's talking about those two protests and the way the police have responded to 
those events, enforcing court injunctions and things like that against protesters. The coastal gasoline protests, of course, are the ones where two journalists were arrested over the weekend, causing another minor controversy in, in the journalism sphere of things. Um, but basically, he's saying that, look, there's already violence going on, but it, but it's not the protesters that are doing it. It's, it's the police, it's the government that are violently enforcing the rules in, in these places. When confronted by what he said about pipelines being blown up, did he offer any qualification of that statement? Is that something that he supports or is that something he is in favor of? Yeah, well, I, I got him on the phone the other day and I asked him that. And he said, no, of course not. The way I took his statements, which is certainly not the way that a lot of people are choosing to take his statements, is he is looking at the current state of environmental protest. He's looking at the current state of government action in response to these things and saying that, you know, there's a gap between what some protesters and activists want to see done and what the government is doing. And at a certain point, if that gap is not bridged in some fashion, some people are going to turn to more extreme methods of getting their point across. And in some ways, that isn't super controversial, as sort of the Extinction Rebellion people pointed out, that when you have, you know, increasing political frustration at a certain point, you know, something might give. But obviously, it, it has been treated by other people as um, sort of a tacit incitement to this sort of thing, or a tacit condoning of this sort of thing. But when I talked to him, I was given no impression, no reason to think that he actually felt that this would be a good thing, just that he's looking at the lay of the land and thinking that, you know, it, it might actually happen. Despite the fact that he not necessarily walked it back, but qualified what he meant, he's still being hit with some pretty harsh criticism across the country. What are people saying about what he said and the message he may be sending to people? The Alberta legislature moved towards you know, officially condemning him, I think. You had Environment Minister Jason Nixon essentially saying that he supported eco-terrorism, the Premier of Alberta condemning him, Aaron O'Toole, the federal Conservative Party leader, condemning him. Um, Jason Kenney himself said that Suzuki's remarks were an implicit or winking incitement to violence, and it's creating a context in which some people could rationalize violence. On the other side of the aisle, Rafan Sabir, an NDP MLA in Alberta, condemned the comments, saying that they were risky, harmful, and dangerous. So there's been sort of fairly wide-ranging condemnation, I would say, of Suzuki's comments. I'm not sure the Prime Minister has said anything about them. I have not seen that. And, you know, it came up in British Columbia as well and things like that. So it's, you know, not just the Alberta Conservatives seeking some political advantage by condemning this. All of this is coming at a fairly interesting time because a lot of this is focused on BC and there's two events kind of going on. There's the fact that BC got hammered with horrible rainstorms, flooding, roads washed out, you know, houses destroyed, lives lost. And also as what Suedin hereditary leaders are trying to blockade construction of the coastal gas link pipeline. Why is it that, you know, these are culminating in this debate and this frustration. What is Suzuki saying and what are others saying about, you know, why we need to take note here? Well, I think they're looking at this catastrophe and drawing a direct line between climate change and government policies towards climate change and these disasters. I'll leave to people far smarter than me and, and far more up to date on the science than me on whether or not that's a fair line to be drawing. But they are doing that. And this is also coming on the, the heels of the COP26 conference in Glasgow, Scotland, where world leaders had gathered to discuss sort of an international accord on responding to climate change. And there was the perception, I think, among environmental activists that the decisions there had ended up being watered down at the end of the day. So there's those things going on. 
There's also a handful of other factors, such as the fact that some international oil prices are on the rise again. Alberta had a record-breaking production month last month. So it's not that the environmental movement's on the retreat, Mm -hmm. but I think there is something going on right now that looks a little bit like the oil and gas industry maybe isn't quite as much in retreat as the environmental movement would like. So I think that probably compounds the frustration. And of course, the Wet'suwet'en protests are important on their own, not just because it's a natural gas pipeline running from Dawson Creek up to Kitimat, but also because it brings in several other issues surrounding Indigenous rights, surrounding autonomy on Indigenous territories, surrounding police action, the way the courts rule on these things, the split between the federal government's rhetoric about climate change and then you know, the projects that they are backing and approving and things like that. So there's a handful of other issues, you know, sort of unique in some ways to that particular pipeline that I think change the perceptions of it a little bit and, and make it more weighty, more, more dire, I think, for people who are looking at it. But on the flip side, we've had a prime minister say that Canada is going to cap emissions on oil sands. Canada is going to get to net zero by 2050 and, and big oil players are going to get to net zero by 2050 as well. Like, It seems at the moment that Alberta and its energy industry is really under a huge microscope. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. But I mean, if you are someone who believes that climate change is the existential crisis of our time, that governments need to do far, far more and far, far more quickly, it's a circle that needs squaring. The prime minister can talk all he wants about capping the oil sands. But if if you truly believe that, you know, humanity is going to be destroyed in the next 20 or 30 years, surely your view is that the oil sands should be shut down and to heck with the consequences. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is the circle that isn't being squared. I mean, is the prime minister reaching out and explaining to these people why what the government is backing in terms of energy projects is actually important or is actually helping bring down emissions, you know, natural gas being a less highly emitting product than crude oil, for example. To bring that all the way back to David Suzuki, I mean, I think that's probably some of what he's talking about. I mean, I'm speculating a little bit here in terms of the frustration, though, is you have the Trudeau government talking this big game on climate change and announcing things like a cap on the oil sands. And then you have this catastrophic weather event in BC that people are drawing connections between climate change and the catastrophe. Something has to give there, I think, is, is where people are coming down on this, because if the government talks this way, then why is it backing the coastal gasoline project? Why does the government own the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline? Why has the government you know, pushed on Keystone XL and all these other things? So that, I think, is sort of this, this whole swirling context here. Mm-hmm. And so in the sense that David Suzuki said there's mounting frustrations, I think that's probably true. And it's not altogether clear to me, I don't think, that the people on the, I don't want to say extremes, but the fringes of this movement are sort of being talked to by the prime minister and talked to by government officials in, in Alberta and in British Columbia and stuff like that. So it's, I mean, the long-winded way of saying the whole thing is a, a complete mess. You talk about the weather that BC has seen. They called it an atmospheric river, a term that was new to me as of a couple of weeks ago. And the notion of climate change playing into these extreme weather events in BC, this is something that the Insurance Bureau of Canada is even suggesting is going to happen more and more often. Yeah, it's funny because this is a thing that you've seen sort of internationally in some ways. There was a New Yorker piece several years ago now about Florida flooding slowly and what that means for all the people who live there and for people's home insurance and things like that. It's obviously becoming an issue here too. I mean, I think, the, I, I believe there are some estimates that the storm in BC was going to be the most expensive natural disaster in Canadian history, which would eclipse the 2016 Fort McMurray wildfires, I think. That's sort of the strange thing about this, right? Is you've got environmental activists, you've got politicians, you've got people kind of caught in the middle to some extent, 
But then you have these other sort of facets and parts of civil society that are involved in this in some way, whether that's, you know, as insurance brokers or, you know, construction companies. Like when we think about the way that some of this infrastructure is going to need to be rebuilt, you know, is catastrophic flooding going to be something that's more under consideration? There's all sorts of other factors here. I mean, you look at agriculture and payouts for failed crops and things like that, that you can link to climate change induced drought. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all these other sort of issues floating around. and, And I think at times they feel very disparate and not like they're all connected. But of course, in in many ways, they are. We'll be right back. Now, back to David Suzuki, you know, in Canada, there's a charitable foundation that bears his name. What have people with the David Suzuki Foundation had to say about how their namesake has conducted himself? They've more or less sort of taken a step away from him. They tried to add a little bit of context to what he said. And they also said, you know, that they talked to him and he confirmed that his comment was not a direct threat to destroy fossil fuel infrastructure. So they, on one hand, sort of stepped away and on on another hand, tried to clarify. And they also sort of offered up the point that I just made that, you know, it's reflecting this frustration over the contradiction between what governments are saying and what governments are doing but putting a little bit of distance, let's say, between themselves and their namesake. While it's rare, and while we certainly don't hope that it happens again, the idea of violence against energy infrastructure in Canada isn't unprecedented. There have been, especially in Alberta, notable acts of vandalism against oil field sites. Who may listeners be familiar with? Probably the big name that certainly comes to my mind, and you know, maybe dates myself a little bit, I suppose, in some ways, is Weebo Ludwig, who lived up in the Peace River area of Alberta, sort of northwestern Alberta. And he lived in this sort of community and, and believed that there were there were sort of sour gas wells around his farm and community that were causing birth defects and, and things of that nature. And so there'd been all this sort of vandalism in the area or around these well sites. And he was eventually convicted for it. And it was sort of a messy trial and scenario, if I remember correctly, because there'd been sort of a strange false flag operation by the RCMP at the time. And then there were another set of bombings in British Columbia some years after that. I think he was arrested and charged around 1998. And then around 2008 or something like that, there'd been some bombings of Incana pipelines in the Dawson Creek area, which is sort of, you know, west of Northern Alberta and and sort of in Northeastern British Columbia. These pipelines had been blown up and they never really arrested anyone. They, well, I shouldn't say that they arrested Weebo Ludwig, but he was never really charged. And then he died a couple years after that. So those are probably some of the most famous pipeline bombings. But of course there's, there's a long, long, long history of civil disobedience and things like that are, current environment minister, a sort of a famous civil disobedience fellow in the environmental movement in his day. So there's a whole range, I think, of these sort of things. But the actual use of what one might call eco-terrorism is, I think, relatively rare in Canada. Now, at the end of the day, you know, David Suzuki said what he said. People have responded as they've responded, but nothing really changes here. You know, the Wet'suwet'en hereditary leaders still protesting the coastal gas link pipeline. Mm-hmm. There are people still against the Trans Mountain pipeline, which is both of them are still being built or trying to be built. Alberta is still exporting oil. Alberta looking to export natural gas. Elsewhere in Canada looking to export natural gas. Like in the grand scheme of things, what changes with this flashpoint from Mr. Suzuki or does anything? I don't know if anything does change. What David Suzuki said, I think, 
without getting myself in trouble here, it feels like the sort of thing that someone needed to say, if that makes sense. And that is my a little bit my view on it, and but I don't want to get in trouble by you know endorsing his comments. My my point, I think, is that there is considerable frustration on the environmental side of this. And I do think, you know, judging from the people that I know and judging from social media, that there is a major, major disconnect between parts of the environmental movement and what the governments of Canada are doing, whether that's the federal liberals, whether that's the British Columbia NDP, whether that's the Alberta UCP, there is a wide disconnect. And the rhetoric around climate change is continuing to get hotter and hotter. And people are talking in more and more apocalyptic terms about it. And I don't think it's totally bonkers to look at the way that this debate is going and say that it is at risk of going into somewhere a little bit risky and a little bit dangerous. And that's sort of where David Suzuki went with his comments. And obviously the one possible response to that is condemnation across the board, which is what the United Conservatives and the federal conservatives have decided to do in response to that. Mm -hmm. The other way to respond to that would be to look at those comments and say, those are perfectly worth condemning, but what if he's on to something? What if he is making a point that we should maybe be paying attention to? Maybe we do need to think about whether or not there is extremism cropping up in the environmental movement and what are the ways that the government and governments might respond to that. That might be policing action, but that also might be, you know, maybe the federal liberals need to go on a real advertising campaign to explain to environmentalists what the heck their strategy is here, why they are doing the things they're doing, why they have approved the projects they've approved and why they are continuing with the projects they're continuing with, while also trying to talk this big game on the environmental front internationally. So if there's going to be any change from what David Suzuki said, it probably will be if people look at what he said and try and treat it as a helpful warning as opposed to an incitement to violence. And I should just very briefly clarify that I'm not endorsing what David Suzuki is saying. I'm not saying I back what he's saying, you know, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's a way to take what he said and take something more from it other than just saying, ah, David Suzuki's an eco-terrorist and we should all condemn him. On the flip side, though, don't comments like that run the risk of alienating middle-of-the-road Canadians who may be concerned about climate change, but who rely on a car, who rely on, you know, the infrastructure that is currently in place in Canada and don't support violence in any way, right? Like there is a messaging risk there that people like David Suzuki don't always take into consideration. Absolutely. I mean, in order to get any sort of change on the environmental front, you do need the buy-in from a significant proportion of the population. You do need moderates. You do need middle-of-the-road people to buy into what you're saying. It goes back a little bit to what we were talking about right at the beginning about Extinction Rebellion. You know, Extinction Rebellion is it's not even Greenpeace. You know, It's certainly not a super mainstream environmental organization. So yeah, there is a hearts and minds part of that. There's no doubt about that. The other thing that just is taking us on a bit of a tangent here, but when you look at the Extinction Rebellion protests, generally speaking, you're not looking at you know, people of David Suzuki's generation who are marching in this thing. You're mm-hmm. looking at young people primarily. And I think there is, for young people especially, this climate change issue is a far more acute issue for, for people, you know, even in our generation or our parents' generation. Strictly in terms of timing, they are looking at far more of their lives and far more of their children's lives being affected by this than we are. So there's a hearts and minds thing, I think, for sort of winning over the general middle class of Canada. But to flip it back on you, you know, there's a hearts and minds thing, too, I think, when it comes to the younger generation to explain to them what's being done and why it's being done and why the Extinction Rebellion approach is perhaps not the right one, if that indeed is the case. It is a fascinating discussion, obviously one that has 
many complex pieces to it. And I appreciate the context that you bring to the conversation, Tyler. My pleasure. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tyler Dawson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.